Hi, this is Tamson Granger. This is Dan Abuhop. Tamson and Dan read the paper on January 23rd. Really? Yeah. Okay. All right. 2023. Time is moving on. Yes, time marches on. Okay. Right. We, we're doing this on Monday because of the football playoffs. No, no one cares when we're doing it. But uh, we did have the football playoffs. bringing everyone up to date. We've okay. been watching football. We have been That's watching football. That's what we've been doing. Yeah, all right. That's about it. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Okay. That's what people do. That's what and people what do, do you have to say about the football? I Look, I knew the Giants were going to get killed by the Eagles. There was no mystery to that. I okay. mean, uh, that's okay. I can live with that. would have been nice if they did a little better. But none of the games were particularly good this weekend. and That's okay. I'll manage. And we have a couple more next weekend. Let's see. You know, yeah, these uh, games can be interesting and sometimes not so much. So uh, we... Uh, we go so on. really, last weekend was much more exciting yes, football watching very weekend. Riveting, riveting, riveting. But uh, this time, some teams, uh, you know, show their superiority, which is uh, what they're apt to do this time of year. The cream rises to the top. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Yes. So, but okay, but we've been doing other things. So here, here, so here's something. So I, I found an article in the New York Times uh, about. A magician. In the New York Times Magazine, I think which you will tell everybody, you yeah. haven't found an article in the New York Times Magazine since Tishabov. <laughs> for a long time, it, you know, it's, it's. I used to read the Times Magazine section when I was like seventeen years old. I thought it was very interesting. It's no longer the case, but in any event, they did have uh, an interesting story about a magician named uh, Juan Tamaris, who's a Spanish magician, and in particular. Uh, he's an older fellow. He is the uh, master of uh, live card tricks. Uh, I guess that's a specialty, if you will. But it's a very honored specialty. And uh, they even have a quote from Ossie Wind, who we've mentioned before, is the uh, the magician who's wowing folks in downtown Manhattan right now, uh, honoring this fellow Juan Tamaris as uh, the greatest. And apparently he's even... Uh, sort of uh, become the leader of a Spanish uh, uh, rebirth, if you will, of interest in magicians. And there's a whole now, I don't know, lineage of uh, Spanish magicians who are great at card tricks. So, you know, there are a lot of specialties around in the world. So let's just put it out there. You're not especially interested in magicians. No, but let let me get to it. But if we did... We were watching some news program. Yeah. And we saw a clip of From Ozzy, Wynn Ozzy Wynn doing a card trick. And it was, it was just crazy. And it was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. So this guy's supposed to be even more amazing. But here, here's the real point I want to make. I don't think anyone's going to get out of my describing or reading a text describing one of this fellow's tricks because, you know, you have to see it live. But here's the interesting observation that's made in the article. And supposedly this is the explanation as to why those tricks work. Here it is. With careful, I'm reading from the article, with careful management of attention, a spectator can be prevented from, quote, recording, end of quote, certain events at all, as in recording them in the spectator's mind. Even those uh, that they do witness can be eliminated. Neuropsychology has shown that short-term memory lasts 15 to 30 seconds, after which it either has to be encoded as a long-term memory or it decays. The reason you can't find your keys minutes after you set them down is part of what can make a magic trick impossible to reconstruct. 
Our memory is a game of telephone with ourselves, subject to revision, and open to suggestion as soon as the moment has passed. In other words, you can only remember things according to this, and they, okay, I'm just quoting the article, for 15 or 20 seconds. And, uh, unless you've made a conscious effort to... A real effort to put right. it in your long-term memory, right. which is why you can't find your keys, which is why... But if we put everything in our long-term memory, it'd be right. too much. Too much. But my point... I guess. I guess. There's too so, many, so many seats on so, the bus. So, you know, but, 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 the but, brain, you know, makes so decisions. When, when, what the magician is counting on when they do the trick is that they're going to do a lot of different things, including several distractions. And... 15, 20 seconds later, while they're engaging you in conversation, if that conversation's over and the cards are shuffled, you won't have it all right. upstairs anymore. And that's why they you're amazed. They can do amazed. what they want. Yeah. Now, let's just pause for a <laughs> second. Is, is that kind of an amazing insight or what? Well, it's a sobering insight. It's I a sobering insight, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm not here to testify that it's true or it's not true. But if it's true... Um, and in a sense, does explain the inexplicable. The fact that you're standing there going, I'm gobsmacked. How the heck that happened? I can't, I just witnessed this. I saw every move and I saw nothing that would suggest that this could be the result. But perhaps you don't have everything in your mind anymore because the 15 seconds have elapsed. Well, I would really be a great audience. <laughs> <laughs> for these people because you've got 12 I seconds I see more magicians 10 seconds because I'm not even famous for long term memory alright right, right, right? Okay. so uh, but yeah. I, look I just thought that was an interesting insight so uh, no, move I, on I'm not kidding I think it would be fun to see this stuff yeah, yeah. but but that's why it works supposedly that's okay. why it works because of it, and, and that's why the magicians say it works right weird I thought oh. they were doing real magic no apparently they're just not. taking advantage of our uh, you know Data collection. Well, it, the interesting thing about the article is that it's written by a fellow who is a magician, uh, mm-hmm. or was years ago. And at the end of it, uh, at the end of the article, he finally gets an audience with this fellow, uh, a person named Shuka Haider. Uh, he gets an audience with this fellow, and the fellow, of course, Tamaris, does a trick, mm-hmm. and he's he knows the way tricks generally go, and he suddenly he realizes. This fellow's going to tell me that the 12th card of the deck is blank, 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 but that's impossible. And sure enough, it is. And yeah. he's he's stunned. The author. The, the author. author the author magician is stunned. On the inside. Right. He knows basically what right. should be going on. And he says, he's sitting there trying to remember, and he says, you know something? I'm just going to put this in my long-term memory. It's just a wonderful experience. I'm not going to <laughs> So there's something right. to that. Okay, back to the real world. Go ahead. Well, semi-real world. Yeah. The Parthenon. Yeah. So apparently there are secret talks yeah. going on, you know, at fancy hotel restaurants between the Greeks and the Brits yeah. about uh, possibly um, getting back some of the Parthenon art. Mm-hmm. Now, you know the, you know, you've heard of the Elgin marbles. Right. Okay, so it's pieces, it's fragments of the Parthenon that Lord Elgin spirited away. Right. Uh, from Athens hmm. uh, back in about 1801 or something. And uh, he says he had permission from the Sultan, right. whoever that was. Uh, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of skepticism right. about all that. But, you know, uh, just a, a quick aside. I mean, he had his reasons uh, for trying to bring 
things back, not just that uh, desire to um, steal and collect all the mm-hmm. Earth's great uh, works of art in, in one location, preferably in your country or country home. Um, and, and that is because the Parthenon uh, had survived, really, for thousands of years until uh, um, it uh, while was being attacked. While it was under, yeah. while it was under the control of the Turks, the Venetians attacked. The Turks had decided to use the Parthenon as a gunpowder magazine. Yeah, right. So when when Venice attacked, yeah. uh, uh, the Parthenon, everything blew up. Right. And up till then, it had been in pretty good, well, look, so, fantastic so, shape. So, so, so Elgin um, told himself it would be safe if he, he brought it to Europe. Right. Basically, That's right. what it, yeah. he, he told himself. Maybe uh, it was. But in any event, uh, okay, the so, Greeks want it back. So, you know, uh, a huge amount yeah. of the fragments of Parthenon sculpture, including yeah. friezes, mm-hmm. metopes, um, bits of columns, the pedimental sculptures, etc., are in the British Museum. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Greece feels they should have them back. Right. And there's a lot of repatri- repatriation of artworks going on mm-hmm. lately. Right. Um, but, you know, this would be a huge deal. Right. I mean, once you start uh, bringing back the Parthenon sculptures, it would be a slippery slope. You mm. wouldn't, uh, you know, you would have precedence for uh, wanting everything back. So anyway, the current deal that may be on the table, this is all very hush-hush. Yeah. Okay. The, uh, the Greeks uh, would like, um, you know, are suggesting that uh, the British Museum return all of the frieze, mm-hmm. okay, the so-called Panathenaic procession frieze from uh, around the outside, and uh, it will be sort of on loan in uh, Greece for 20 years, and then hopefully deals will be made that it can maybe stay there forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, you know, the um, the Brits seem to be offering that uh, they will send, you know, a smaller amount of stuff over and kind of rotate uh, what pieces mm-hmm. uh, will be on display in Greece. Um, you know, um, Britain, you know, First of all, the museum says, you know, our hands are tied. These things belong to Britain. You know, the government's not going to let us do that, we don't think. Uh, You know, so there's all kinds of um, things, you know, questions Mm -hmm. going on. And who knows what's really happening. There's also the consideration that we brought up a a month or two ago about uh, the concept that you can pretty perfectly... Um, yeah, you can re- recreate, recreate it, right. the original uh, sculptures. Right. So whether that would result in Britain putting, you know, recreations, reproductions on display, or <laughs> Greece or whatever, I don't know if that helps or hurts. But anyway, it's inter- You know, it's kind of interesting that these secret talks are going on, and uh, you know, uh, wonder what will happen if there's any possibility mm-hmm. of some kind of. Okay. Resolution, hmm. because they, you know, the British Museum is built on the idea of having all these amazing stuff, and you know, it is from their imperial history. But they have like the Rosetta Stone; they have a lot of key things, hmm. and 
you could just see it all begin to huh? slip back and slip away. It's kind of hard to resist that, but uh, who knows? Who knows? Um, yeah, and you had some crazy lawsuit, too. I thought you would enjoy this. You didn't seem too excited when I described well, it to it's you. It's a crazy okay. lawsuit. So there's this artist, yeah. and he's a big artist, yeah. Peter Doig. Oh, Peter Doig, of course. I don't know how the to Doig really say it. Peter he's Doig. Scottish, yeah. all right? Yeah. I think he was born in Scotland... He was raised in like Trinidad, <laughs> Canada, went back to England. He now lives in Trinidad. His paintings sell for millions of dollars. Okay. Okay. Recently, you know, a few years ago, a, um, uh, what do you call him? A former, um, what's somebody, a former corrections officer, yeah. Robert Fletcher. Yeah. Um, teamed together with a gallery to try to sell a painting that they said was by Peter, Peter Doig. Doig. Right. D-O-I-G. Yeah. Of course, it's signed Peter Doig, D-O-I-G-E. Well, don't give it away. So okay. the point is... So is well, that, well, Peter that is it. But the, and uh, and uh, Peter Doig, Peter Doig is, denies... Says, denies it's his painting. Is, he, he is alive. You know, we talk a lot about right. trying to attribute authenticity right. to works done by artists who are no longer living. He's alive. He's there to say he did not do this work right. of art. So it becomes okay? a lawsuit. So there was a lawsuit, yeah. and he won that lawsuit. The no judge kidding. found for him. Well, that's okay? the way that lawsuit has to go. <laughs> okay. The people, you know, I guess, I guess Mr. Fletcher really wants... You know, the millions of dollars. He originally, he says he bought the painting for $100. He had met Peter Doig in um, In university somewhere years ago. Yeah, and then he... In Ontario, and then ran into him again in prison. As one does, yes, right. And um, uh, so he continued with the lawsuit. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the judge now says, no, I'm still finding for Mr. Doig, and I'm awarding him... Two point five million dollars in damages. Well, good luck collecting okay. that. Okay, yeah. and uh, Doig says he's going to give it to um, charity. He's not going to anyway. get it, so don't worry about it. All right, he's, he's not going to get it. Don't worry about it. You don't it. think Fletcher has two point five million? That's my sense of the situation. And yes. Fletcher and his lawyers say they're going to continue to pursue this. Of course they okay, that, yeah. he said. Um, it said. He said the decision against him will chill the inclination of lawyers to take on cases yeah. like this against those who have literally unlimited means at their disposal. Yeah, okay. Okay. So, in other words, in his mind, the artist is taking advantage of poor Mr. Fletcher. Yeah, well, that's, um, that's what one because says. Because he can, right. you know, hire these big time lawyers. Yeah, that's what people say. So, here's something that's almost as silly. Um, uh, Charles Dolan, the Dolan family, owns uh, Madison Square Garden. And other properties, other big entertainment properties like uh, Radio City, things like that. Did we mention that Peter Droig has never been to prison? No. And didn't, it, and didn't go to school in Ontario? Well, this, this makes the case even even weaker. I mean, and there's concrete proof. Okay, so it's, it's, it's a dumb lawsuit. Right. They're, they're, okay. Believe me, they're, I can find you lawsuits even dumber than that in the United States. 2.5 million. Why, why are we wasting anybody's time with that? I, can I go, go on? Go ahead, go ahead. Okay, right? So my point is that... Uh, because, uh, well, Dolan, as one does, well, he finds himself in disputes and lawsuits involving his various properties, MSG and and uh, Radio City and other places, uh, and came upon a strategy, uh, which is that 
to the extent that a uh, somebody would be suing uh, MSG or Mr. Dolan personally, uh, they would be informed by letter that the lawyers would not be allowed to go to any Dolan venues. This is so silly. I can't even believe it. Yeah. I, I told you I was going to So what him. does he think? That uh, so here, you know, all the bright young things uh, in New York won't represent him because they won't I, be able listen, to Listen, I'm games? just telling you what's happening, okay? So, but they follow through on this to the extent that they use facial recognition technology to identify such lawyers who try to enter, let's say, Madison Square Garden or, or Radio City, and they are told... Uh, by the ushers there, you cannot come in. They have an example of someone with some, with a Girl Scout troop who tried to see the Rockettes, and this, this, this woman was not allowed in because. Wait a minute, the Rockettes are owned Radio by City, Radio City Music Hall. That's owned by yeah Dolan's yeah, yeah, company. Yeah, right. Wow. Okay, so so imagine if you so he has some entertainment venues and some sports venues. So here here's and and, and concerts like that. Plus there are concerts at Madison Square Garden other than right. sporting events. So, uh, of course. So and this is facial recognition. Yes. Yeah, so that's, that adds something. People don't like facial recognition, uh, technology. Well, it seems, yeah. They feel because it's a otherwise harsh. you couldn't possibly enforce it. Right. You, yeah. So the question is, is this legal or not? Because you're involving lawyers, immediately they run and they sue, right? Right. Like your doig friend. And, um, uh, the answer is that, uh, generally speaking, you can admit or not pe- admit people to your establishment, uh, according to your own lights, unless you are discriminating on the basis of race or other suspect classifications. But you're that allowed. Make, that makes sense to me. Okay. All right. So, it's a private business. Exactly right. So to the extent that that's the law, Dolan can do this, and the lawsuits against him fail with one caveat, okay? There is a specific law on the books in New York that came about under funny circumstances. It turns out that uh, early on, uh, early on, early 20th century, um, there were some disputes about theater critics, Okay, Alexander Wolcott was the theater critic for the New York Times, and uh, Lee Schubert, the Schubert Theater Organization, barred Wolcott from going to any of his shows because, <laughs> because he gave them review. harsh review. That's exactly <laughs> okay. right. Okay, so he sued, right? Wolcott mm-hmm. sued, and Wolcott lost because of the law as we generally understand it a moment ago. This happened again, though, in the 30s when Leonard Lyons, you remember Leonard Lyons, he was kind of a columnist, right? He was barred from a bunch of theaters, again, because he had written nasty nasty things about the Schubert family. It's the Schubert's again. Mm -hmm. And he actually had a law degree, and he he talked to his son about this, Jeffrey Lyons, who's still on the radio and television even now. And he consulted a lawyer named Morris Ernst, who's with the ACLU. And what Ernst did is he drafted a law which said that, uh, here's what it says, uh, guaranteeing anyone over the age of 21 admittance to, quote, legitimate theaters, burlesque theaters, music halls, opera houses, concert halls, and circuses. Uh, and mm-hmm. They're allowed to go. You mm-hmm. can't bar them from admission, all right? Mm-hmm. And that law got passed, hmm. all right? So as a result, uh, Leonard Lyons was allowed to go to the theater again. Right. Okay. So someone had to research to find this law. No one thought of this law for years and years and years. All right. That's some good research there. So they find the law. And here's the problem, though. 
it works for concerts and it works for the Rockettes, but does it work for sporting events? Well, that's sort of a circus. No. There was a case that came up with horse racing, uh-huh. and they said, no, this doesn't cover sports years ago. So it only works if you're going to see the Rockettes or Fish or something like that, but it doesn't work to see the Knicks. Now, you might say to yourself, who cares about seeing the Knicks? Uh, you know, what difference does that make? No one mm-hmm. wants to see the Knicks. I'm with you there. But uh, <laughs> but the, the fact of the matter is, it's kind of a crazy, silly dispute. But uh, because of this crazy law that was passed in the 30s, uh, you can't bar people from seeing theatrical uh, or burlesque performances. Wow. Interesting, huh? Hmm. hmm. See if you can hmm. remember that for 15 seconds. I, I, be... I, I think I will. All right, good. Because that's kind of, it's always been interesting to me, be, um, the idea of what uh, business owners can and can't do. Right. Because lots of times people perceive any business as a public thing. And they're wrong. Okay. And they're wrong, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I used to, remember we, we owned the cranberry food sampler property. Right. And I had a little shop there. Yeah. And uh, I would see people out in the backyard doing stuff, yeah. and I didn't necessarily want them there. And I would, uh, you know, once or twice I went to uh, ask them to leave them. And, you know, once they said, somebody said to me, well, um, this is a public place. I don't I don't have to do what you say. Was it, said, was no, this no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> was this person like 12 years old or, or were they? No, no, was it was an adult. adult. Okay. Right. Well. Um, people don't understand uh, what yeah. public means. Yeah. I mean. You're out in public, but it's not literally. You don't know understand. Charles the- Dolan understands. So. I guess so. Yeah. Um, all right. So a, a um, an article caught my eye about ACL surgery. Yeah. Okay. And Gordon McKay, Professor Gordon McKay, yeah. who has invented a groundbreaking technique called the internal brace, the IB technique for repairing um, ligament injuries, right. like the ACL. Yeah, knee okay. damage, right. Yeah. And, you know, for, for men, in many situations, when, uh, you know, I mean, I have torn ACLs in, in both legs, mm-hmm. uh, both knees. And, um, you know, for years, every time we're watching football or watching some sport and somebody seems to get a knee injury, and you're going, oh, my God, you know. Right. That's the worst. That's right. either going to put them out for a year right. or maybe forever right. because the knee is never really that solid afterwards. Right. Uh, and uh, it's true. It involved a, a long recovery, etc. cetera. Uh, long story short, uh, McKay, who, you know, was, uh, you know, plays some what uh, the British call football himself. Yeah. Uh, ended up uh, inventing a surgery that uh, actually, rather than sewing the uh, um, ligament back together Mm -hmm. or adding a piece of the hamstring uh, to bridge Mm -hmm. it, they actually um, install what he calls a support uh, with the... uh, um, the ligament. Let me see if I can find uh, exactly how they describes it. Um, we find that we can use a hybrid, which is a slightly reduced graft. We keep the stump of the damaged li- ligament, so you've got some nerve supply and blood supply 
and back it up with this internal brace. It's only two millimeters in diameter, like a ribbon, but significantly improves the strength of the reconstruction. Um, we also found recently that the addition of a second internal brace on the outside will help reduce re-injury, uh, etc. So this has dramatically changed really? the healing process. Well, you know, they, um, it, you know, and it's been able to apply to at least 17 other parts of the body, mm-hmm. okay? And by at this point, millions of these operations have been done. You know, back when um, Drew Brees, I guess in 2019, yeah. hurt his thumb, mm-hmm. all right? He was back in five weeks. Mm-hmm. That's because of this kind of surgery. Mm-hmm. So that uh, recovery has gone from like nine or ten months right. and even ending the career to you know just a few weeks mm-hmm. um, they have they have people up and about in a few days okay. um, and this changes uh, and it's um, it has uh, you know um, reduced uh, replacements dramatically in terms of hip replacements mm-hmm. knee replacements um, you're not uh, um, because of uh, you know the old, um, methodology, you would be subject to re-injuring, mm-hmm. which is what happened to me, or developing uh, severe osteoarthritis, which is what happened to me. So, uh, I mean, this is fantastic news. Mm-hmm. And I think you see it reflected when you're watching TV. It's not quite the, oh my God, it's the ACL yeah. that it was, mm-hmm. uh, say, five or ten years yeah, ago. Yeah, I think they're more concerned with Achilles tendons now, honestly. But yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So, thank you, Gordon McKay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right. So, listen, we talked a lot about AI, artificial intelligence, and too much. Too much. I agree with you. So, I'll just, you know, I just thought what's on your mind? There's yet another article here about all these uh, high schools and universities responding to the notion that students can uh, turn, as they describe it, to artificial intelligence shortcuts and write papers uh, with the aid of AI. Uh, in fact, just doing uh, artificial intelligence product and handing it in. And and the response is kind of like, well, look, we can't stop it. We'll do more of making people write in class. Uh, you know, we'll have to be more clever with our uh, assignments. They have to be more difficult or whatever. We have to uh, have a tougher curve for grading because people now are going to be getting the assistance of AI all kinds of ideas. I, you know, it's take a while to figure this out. But, you know, it occurred to me what what, I, what bothers me about this um, and why maybe you have to write in the class, but I don't, I don't know if that works either. But the fact is this. I, yes, I like the idea of saying maybe more time can be invested in editing and let's, let's worry less about what the initial draft looks like um, and change the way we teach people. But here's the thing. When you assign something, when I assign something in my class, when you assign something in your class, this is the way I've always thought about it. And this is the way lawyers think about it, I think. In that when you are tasked to draft something, an explanation of something, be it the law or be it art history or be it whatever, you have to really work through how to explain it to somebody else. Okay? And it's that process of working through how to explain it to someone else that gives you a deeper understanding of the subject. What we used to say in the law was, if you can't write it up, in a, let's call it a draft brief, whatever. You don't understand it. Right, so? 
it, that's why you have to ask people to do the first draft. That's why the first draft is critical. If you, that's what tasking the first draft is. You're making people work it through so that they get a deeper understanding of it. And that's why it's not satisfactory to say, okay, we accept that the first draft is going to be AI and they'll edit it. You're missing something here. You're missing the idea of making someone work through all the thought that's necessary to come up with an initial explanation of what they're trying to get across. And that's the problem. In my mind, I'm not saying there's no way around well, that. You know, but I think that's no, critical. And I, I think you're probably right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, there is the idea that at least um, sometimes what you need, sometimes you know, even if you, the main thing is people are just not going to do it. Right. Okay. Yeah, I, I understand. Okay. I don't have the solution. I'm not here for the solution. Right. Um, but even when you know you're doing research to right. um, find some kind of answer. Right. Okay. And uh, you collect a lot of your, you know, especially if you're new in the process, right. new in the field, you're collecting a lot of information, right. a lot of data. Yeah. So it can be intimidating, you know, to put it together in a distilled, yes, uh, sure. understandable a- absolutely. form. Absolutely. So there may be some way of having AI help you do that you got me shaking my head instead of intimidating i would say challenging and i would say and that's exactly what you have to ask people to do. i understand i understand that except people aren't doing it well people some people do it it. they don't want to do it that's why people don't like school find a way to help them do it now you're going to make me seem like an old man i'll say no you got to do it. No, no, no. I, I'm the one who last week, yeah, I was saying, yeah, you got to do the stuff in class. You got to have the test in class. And you're going, no, that's really silly. No, you, you, it, just, it just wastes a lot of class time. That's all. But, no, but that's what class time is, Daniel. All right, all right. Class time is learning time. All right. right? My point Get, is. You know what? what? I've told you a million times. It's yeah. It's been said to me. Yeah. All right. That studies show that nobody gets anything out of a lecture. Yeah, I understand. Okay? We like to stand up there and opine and tell our stories. But really, the learning doesn't happen. The learning happens in the, you know, taking tests, writing things up, doing the paper, Mm -hmm. you know. And the lecture is just a jumping off point. So a lot of important concrete work can happen in the classroom. And that can be um, test taking. Oh, maybe okay, you but know, that, but I do, I do think was, you have to ask people. That was the basis to... for you know. I remember. I, 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 I remember reading Rangers it. friends. Right. Yeah. In, Spencer. In, in, right about the math stuff. Yeah, I remember that. Um, okay, so baseball. I know you want to hear more about baseball. Uh, just quickly. Um, I don't even think it's baseball season, Dan. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. I think it's we're almost into. It's, it's like I can't get you know, any, anything. Sports illustrated, illustrated swimsuit season. Is that coming up soon? I I think we're we're on the verge. If we can just get through the damn Super Bowl, yeah, yeah, I think that's where we'll be. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to that, of course. But uh, looking even farther ahead, um, the Mets assigned a pitcher from Japan named Kodai Senga. And here's what's interesting about this. Uh, I'm just giving you a preview so that when you, you know, have lunch with, you know, your cohorts, your friends, your when colleagues. When I meet my friends at the water cooler. Oh, exactly. You can you can participate by saying, how do you like that Kodai Senga and his ghost fork? That's what you're going to say. His ghost fork. Daniel, not in front of the <laughs> I'm children. I'm telling you. Apparently, he's got a pitch that's a fork ball that uh, it's called a fork ball. 
F-O-R-K, that uh, goes to on goes like on a plane on its way to home plate if the pitch releases. And then when it gets to home plate, it, it takes a fork. It takes a drop, a negative fork. It drops off the table. They say it forks down like okay. that. Boom. And it's an impossible pitch for the batter to detect. To put it another way, the batter can't distinguish it from a straight fastball. So the batter doesn't know what to do. Is it coming straight or is it dropping off the table? And apparently, this pitch works. It's the real thing. They have people who are playing in the major leagues now who previously played in Japan who saw him pitch. And they are saying this like Nick Martinez of the San Diego Padres. Uh, this is going to be a sensation in the major leagues. It's a real thing. Here's the problem. What's the problem? The Mets <laughs> what? don't need more defense. They need more offense. Oh, oh listen to this. Well, that's not a problem. You want to improve on both sides of the ball, but you're, it's not the complete answer for the Mets because they do need more hitting. Yeah, it's very good, Tamsin. Very good. That's right, uh, so you, just a quick, there's a, a store at the water cooler. I read a review of a book that yeah. might be fun to read. Yeah. Um, I mean, biographies are tough because they always tell you more than you really need to know. Yes. Uh, but uh, it's called Flora McDonald. Yeah. It's written by Flora Frazier. Yeah. Okay. So Flora Frazier, not related to Jamie Frazier, oh, right. of, of Outlander, Outlander, but actually is related to um, Lady Antonia Frazier. Oh, really? The writer? Right? Yeah. And uh, Hugh Frazier. And she she was named Flora after Flora McDonald. Right. Because Flora McDonald was such a celebrity mm-hmm. in, uh, you know... Scottish history. Well, yeah. Not, or even in British history. Yeah. Okay? I mean, she and was a thing. And it turns you out... You have to explain so why Flora she's McDonald a celebrity. Yeah. is a young woman who helped... Uh, was a young woman, yeah. Who, who was a young woman who, uh, you know, in uh, the 18th century helped Bonnie Prince Charlie, yeah. the young pretender Charles Edward Stewart, uh, escape, all right, after the Battle of Culloden. All right, which we learned all about watching the TV show. And uh, she helps him escape by he, you know, uh, somebody comes up with this great plan of disguising him as her maid. Hmm. Okay. And they, uh, she and uh, some uh, friend or whatever, sew him a dress. And he's her maid. Betty Burke, mm-hmm. and uh, they row uh, across some water uh, to uh, Sky, and uh, you know help him escape. Yeah. Right? So, so Bonnie Prince Charlie being story. claiming so, claiming that he was the nat- the righteous heir to the British throne, the Scottish right. lining up behind him, and then getting beaten in battle, and he, he basically leaving under the cover of night in a mage outfit. Right. So he would not be tracked down by the English, correct? So once they get to Sky, they go their separate ways. Yeah. Um, at a certain point, um, Flora is back in London, okay? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, she um, is an overnight celebrity mm-hmm. while waiting for the Privy Council Council to examine her case. Okay, so it sounds like she's under arrest or something. Prosecution right? or something, Prose- yeah. yeah. Okay, but meanwhile... People love her. Uh-huh. Okay, so she becomes, you know, an overnight celebrity, uh-huh. as I said, in London. All right, they they're making souvenirs of her. Her picture is on shortbread tins. Yeah. Um, they're making people are wearing Betty Burke dresses. Yeah. All right, there are songs, etc. Um, she she does, however, 
And this is the only reason we're watching the series Outlander. Right. Okay, which is about, uh, you know, a Scottish guy right. and uh, his wife who time travels and so right. on. And they end up in North Carolina. Flora ends up in North Carolina. That's right. Okay, so I'm reading about, I'm reading reviews of this book. This book is just coming out. And I'm saying, wow, you know, is that the same Flora McDonald? And indeed it is. She manages to get married. She and her husband end up. And uh, of course, it all becomes very awkward because once they're in, you know, once they're in uh, North Carolina, they become loyalists. They have to make a choice about whether right. they're supporting, whether they're loyalists or um, supporting the revolution, and that could be awkward. And she, you know, eventually ends up uh, I'm back in England. So yeah. she, uh, but it's one of those funny, funny things. And the um, in describing the story of how the whole escape goes, uh, Fraser describes it as Outlander. No, well, maybe the reviewer describes it as Outlander meets Some Like It Hot. Six foot Betty, more boozy than Bonnie, follows Nimble Flora all the way to Sky, um, and so uh, so. But it's the the more you know, the more you know. Yeah. I mean, two right. weeks ago I didn't know anything well, about Flora it, McDonald, and now I'm recognizing her when she shows up on the television. And, well, of show. course, and and the prince has has been a character for some time in the Outlander series we've been watching because they do talk about that uprising on the part of the Scottish. And the prince is, is basically depicted as a fop, as a fool. Yeah. And, uh, and basically the maid's outfit doesn't help him. But, uh, yeah. No, and he, apparently he uh, is not the best uh, actor in the world. When, they, when they're in town and he's dressed up as Betty Burke, yeah. he's actually um, bowing to people in a very male way yeah. as opposed to curtsy. And he does, he's not really playing the role. He's an idiot. He can't That's the thought, yeah. But anyway, so that's uh, uh, nonetheless. Right. It's supposed to be actually a quite a good book, so it might right. be worth reading. All right, or at least listening to. That's true too. And finally, there's an obituary. Frank Thomas died. Frank Thomas uh, was an original New York Met. I know you want to hear more baseball, and what that means is he was on the team in 1962, uh, and he actually hit 34 home runs, which is a substantial number of home runs for an expansion team that hardly won, and it was a record for the Mets for 13 years. 13 years. Mm. Um, and uh, there were two funny stories about uh, Frank Thomas. Um, one is that uh, there's now a, uh, another player named Frank Thomas who's uh, you see on television once in a while, former player who's six foot five. Actually, he does uh, some um, commercials advertising uh, a supplement which uh, Gives you, I don't know, certain qualities. Certain gives a male certain testosterone type qualities, and his his key line is, and your your wife will like it too. But uh, Frank Thomas is the big hurt that guy, oh. and he's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, but this Frank Thomas is not that guy, although he did observe at one point. He's gratified to see that his name is in the Hall of Fame, even though the plaque is not of him. But uh, the biggest story associated with uh, Frank Thomas, it's an old story and it's worth repeating is this one, is that was when the team was playing in 1962, they did a lot of crazy things and uh, not exactly uh, consistent with what we will call good baseball. Well, in any event, Frank Thomas played left field and Richie Ashburn played center field and the shortstop was named Elio Chacon and Chacon did not speak English. So there 
was a fly ball or two that came in short center field in which the center fielder and Chacon almost collided because the center fielder was calling, I got it, I got it, as one does, and Chacon didn't know what he was talking about. So somebody said to uh, Richie Ashburn, here's the solution to that problem. When you run in on, on that kind of ball, yell out, Yolo Tango, Yola Tango, which means in Spanish, I got it, and Chacon will get the message. And sure enough, the next game, there's a fly ball in uh, you know short part of the outfield, and Ashburn comes running in and yells, Yola Tango, Yola Tango, and Chacon pulls up. The problem is Frank Thomas from left field comes steaming across and collides with Richie Ashburn and almost he kills has him. No idea, right? What Yola Tango and they means. asked, "Didn't you hear me call it?" And he says, well, "You said Yola Tango. What the heck does that mean?" Right? He had no idea. And apparently, it was such a famous story that there is there's a reasonably well known musical group called Yola Tango, which is still exists to this day, which derives its name from that from that baseball story. Huh. Ha. Huh. So anyway, Frank Thomas is 90, 93 years old. 34 home runs is, uh, is something, Thompson. That, that record stood until 1975 when it was broken by, you know the answer to this, Dave Kingman. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That, I, haven't, uh, I haven't thought about him for a while. Well, okay, let's go. All right. So until next time, this is uh, Dan Abuha. And Thompson Granger with Thompson and Dan Read the Paper. See you next week. Here we go.